0: Welcome to Backstory Song. I'm your host, Doug Burke, and today we're here with Byron Hill. Byron Hill was born in Georgia and raised in Winston-Salem, North Carolina. His father taught him guitar and how to play the Carter family songs, widely considered the roots of country music. Soon he was covering Johnny Cash, Merle Haggard, and Chris Christopherson. While attending Appalachian State University, he began performing in the coffee houses and resort areas around there and joined a trio in 1974 that failed. With his deep knowledge of the foundations of country music, he began consulting for Songwriter magazine and began sending off his own compositions to music publishers who were listed in the pages of the magazine. He started traveling to Nashville and relocated there in 1978, where he was signed by publisher ATV Music. When his song Picking Up Strangers by Johnny Lee charted in 1981, Byron had his breakthrough. He's gone on to write 34 top 10 songs on over 700 recordings and was inducted into the Nashville Songwriter Hall of Fame in 2018. So another romantic song of yours is I Can't Remember Never Loving You. This is probably my favorite double negative title (laughs) (laughs) in the history of music. (laughs) Good,
1: good. Well, you know, I guess the English class and English teacher somewhere back in the fifth grade or whatever paid off from, you know, knowing what that is for me. Yeah, I was writing with a guy from Halifax, a Canadian writer who... Was coming. He still comes to town, trying to get things going, and we had been connected by a mutual friend up in Toronto that suggested that we get together, a publisher up there. So I got together with Ian, and we were writing one day, and this song just fell out. So, like like a lot of songs, you really don't know what might happen. So it was just one that we were piling up, you know, stuff we had written over the course of a year there, and a few things, and I had sent it just thinking it might work as something for the series Nashville. I'd sent it to the music supervisor for the TV series. And I thought, well, that's that, you know, I'd pitched another song to the series. Probably nothing will happen, (laughs) you know, because that's about all you can do is send it. And then, you know, there's not, you can't really call and say, Hey, did you hear my song? That's just not the way that works. You know, they're too busy, those people. So, so anyway, about six months later, I get a call from her and she says, hey, I'm calling about this song. We got to have we're going to have this song now. You know, I said, OK, well, great. And, and so she said, so I need you to call everybody and get it cleared because, I, you know, we're in a hurry. We got to got to. And, of course, cleared in the music business means make sure everybody's on board. Make sure everybody's cool with what we want to pay. Make sure no one else has recorded it that it's there's no conflicts out there she said we're going to record this this week with charles Eston and connie Britton, who were in the show as deacon the character deacon and Raina. so she said this is going to be big this is going to be a featured song on this episode so anyway you know i never <laughs> i never really watched the show that much i, I, I watched it but I didn't continue watching the show when it first came out because I felt like I was at work. You You live it every day. Why do you want to watch that? Yeah, I don't want to sit there and be critical of my own business every day and the stuff that that we do. And I just sort of felt like, oh, this is a little too close to home. I'm just going to, you know, sometimes I'm frustrated anyway. I don't want to get frustrated watching this, you know. But the show was doing well. And so when I got this call, I watched it and I was just – blown away by the performance that Charles Esten and Connie Britton did. It was season five, episode 11. Doesn't sound like somebody who doesn't watch the show. I mean, I know the. <laughs> I probably know which minute in, in episode, <laughs> the episode it came on. It came on right at the end. But, you know, it was the scene where Raina w- had been in an automobile accident. And she was no longer there. And he had found some videotapes of her and decided to add his voice in the studio that was all part of the storyline of the of the TV sh- series that episode and it was very poignant you know he was in the studio her picture her video was playing on the screen behind him as he was adding the his parts and it was really really effective and made it onto the soundtrack album for season 5 and quite proud of it, you know. I, I that's another one that I play a lot when I'm doing my songwriter shows because I always kind of pulled the audience. Anybody here, you know, watch? It, uh, did you watch the series? And and it's amazing how many people have watched that series. And so it goes over pretty pretty well. So some of your early songs ended up in movies, and then this ends up,
0: yeah, uh, in a, in a hit series, yeah, about Nashville, yeah. So,
1: I like those. I I like getting things into film because it pays it. The pay is more certain, you know, than waiting for something to come out on radio and hoping it goes up. You you know, you get paid right up front. (laughs) So that's good. And it's exciting. You know, I kind of like having songs in films and TV. I haven't, don't have a lot of them, but, but it's cool. And, you know, it's uh, sometimes the songs end up better than the, the film had a lot of that, you know, where, you know you end up years later saying don't go rent the movie but <laughs> the song was in it you know <laughs> but nashville and very that that particular season in episode 5 i'm really 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 proud of
0: i thought this was a
1: song about moms really that's great that you can relate it that way
0: but it it's not
1: it's I mean, a love song really
0: it's a love song but it's not cuz Like your mom is the one that you can can't remember never loving because from the moment you're born,
1: yeah, you know you have this attachment with your mom. You know what? That's interesting. I'd have to comb back through the lyric to see if anything conflicts with that. But see, now that's what that's. I, I like that the fact that someone can relate to it a different way than we actually wrote it. You know. So you were writing in it
0: not about moms,
1: about was about a girl our gals yeah are your gals yeah my wife your wife at the time his wife i'm sure you and tony's no ian's wife wife, i'm sure that ian had her in mind and you know when we were writing it we're drawing from that kind of an experience you know
0: so you write a great love song to the girl that you love yeah and you bring it home and play it for her
1: Well, I think I think I can speak for Ian on this and probably most songwriters, you know, are wiser so used to all this, you know, you you get a new song and you bring it home and I think they've they've heard so many fictitious songs that you've come up with that, that you know that it's really when you tell them a song might be inspired by them or whatever it's I don't know if it hits home with them quite <laughs> Quite the way you'd like it to, you know. They go, "Oh, okay. Well, who's going to cut it? Well, you know, we'll see." You know, all of a sudden it takes on a different meaning. I think you know. It's like, do you think we can get it cut? But you know, I mean, it's. I love coming up with something that's inspired by. My wife, or my daughter, or whatever—that's or my dad—I've written songs, you know, that way too.
0: But so you're saying you, you hope the reaction would have been better when you brought it home <laughs> to your wife? <laughs> that seems to happen a lot, you know. <laughs> but then it gets made and it yeah. becomes a hit later, and then yeah. she tells everybody that that song is about me. Yeah, in the after the fact, or how well, does it work? <laughs> well,
1: I think I think most wives of or spouses of songwriters. Let me put it that way. I think most spouses of songwriters know. That we make a lot of stuff up, you know, (laughs) and and that's kind of the general reaction, you know, part of the job is making stuff Uh, stuff up.
0: (laughs) I can't remember never loving you. I just think that's a great title. Thank you. uh, It's a great song. And uh, yeah, no, I really, when I read this the first time, I thought this is about. How he feels about his mom, and I was going to ask you, is it not a mom song or a mom song? And you're telling me it's not a mom song.
1: Well, next Mother's Day, I think I will play it for my mom and tell it's a, tell her it's about. Her. There you go. You know, maybe we'll get some more spins on the radio on
0: on, on, on yeah. another.
1: Why not? Another,
0: it could be about yes. a dog too, I guess. The only hand I've ever held on to. I mean, that's yeah. that's your mom. Like yeah, from, it could be. You know, from.
1: Yeah, no, that's a, that's great. I'm glad I'm glad you read that into it because that's great when a song can do that. It's sort of like a writer's trick that it, it's sort of like something that, in this particular case, we didn't consciously do it, but a lot of times we do kind of make a song just enough where it's not necessarily about one situation. A lot of times when you You find yourself writing a song and it's too genderized. You know, you can take, you can change the personal pronouns in it so that anyone could sing it about anybody, you know, whether it's a guy singing a song about a girl or a girl singing a song about a guy. So these are things you do as a writer sometimes along the way through the writing process to make a song more pitchable, more universal, universal, exactly. I mean, if you've got a song that only a girl can sing, I mean, you know, you've really kind of limited limit it down to half the market. So why not change those personal pronouns to make it where, or the, the or the tense, you know, to make it work where anyone could sing it to anyone, including their mother or their dog. <laughs> <laughs> so Connie and Charles are are actors and actresses, right,
0: and right. not per se classic singer-songwriters. Well,
1: I, th- I think, no, I, I think in the case, they are first, I think they're both first actors, but I think that Charles more than, Connie has really pushed his singing career too. I don't know that she has at all, but he has, you know, he's toured as a singer between projects, I guess, you know, I've really tried to get together with him. I would love to get together with him and write sometime, but, but I haven't really been able to break through on that level yet, but I guess maybe he's been too busy with stuff, but I like his sound. I think he's, I think he's got a cool sound and he's certainly a good looking guy. So, I mean, he's got a shot, you know? I mean, to me, to me, it seems like he could be uh, another George Strait or something. Oh yeah, I mean, you know, but without the hat, kind of maybe appeal to a different audience a little bit.
0: So I like to ask the songwriters who sit down with me to talk about songs that might be recorded earlier in your career that you'd like to see recorded by a contemporary voice. And so, if you could pick any song in your that you've written. And pick the dream voice today to record it. Do you have one?
1: Oh, man. Well, the tough part about answering that question is I've got a bunch of things that I think have not been, have not seen the light of day like they should, you know. And I think every writer, every writer can say that. So, you know, I probably have a dozen songs that I feel like are perfect for George Strait and whether they were pitched to him or not or whether they were pitched at the wrong time or whatever, you know, it's uh, i don't know. But for one reason or another, they they just haven't been cut, you know. And so saying, what's number 1 on that list for George? I've got a song that is really one of my favorite tunes that not many people have heard, but I've put put it on one of my CDs. It's called My Daughter's Father. And it's just a really good song. You know, it's one of those songs I think someone should record. So, And it's about? Well, it's about, you know, in her eyes, I don't have to walk on water. You know, I don't have to shoot for the moon or whatever. I don't have to do big things. All I have to do is be my daughter's father. So that's the idea. And I think it's a I think it's a really good song, and it's waiting, waiting to be recorded, I guess, by someone. It was recorded, I will, to be fair. A, a, a great singer and a, and a big artist in Canada put it out as a single, and he did a wonderful job, a guy named Gord Bamford. You know, he's not really known down here in the States, but he's huge up there, and he did a great job on it.
0: I have a daughter, and I think that it's a real special relationship, and... I feel bad for parents who just have boys and
1: yeah. Cause girls rock. Yeah. Yeah. And, and my, my daughter came along with me the last two days on two shows that I did, you know, i I just do the writer kind of shows and she was there, just wanted to hang out with me. So she, you know, she went with me and it was really great having her alongside. So yeah, she's 34 now though. She's not a kid anymore, but she's, She's around.
0: Yeah. Does she have daughters of her own? No, not, not yet. yet. Not, not yet. yet. No, You're I'm, not a grandpa I'm, yet?
1: No, not yet. Not yet. I'm I'm helping her look around. I'm get, keeping my eyes open too for the right guy. <laughs> 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 I, you know, every time I meet one in the music business, you know, I kinda go, Hmm, do you know this guy? And she'll say, No, no. Can you send me a link to his page? You know, it's a whole different thing. But she's picky. I think that's the problem. She's very picky, but she'll find the right guy someday.
0: Thank you for listening to Backstory Song. If you like our podcast, you can become a patron at our Patreon page, where you will receive bonus interview tracks with your favorite songwriters and early release access to upcoming episodes. It is only $3 per month or the price of a cup of coffee to become a Backstory Song patron. I sure do hope this is a long night Cause I've never felt one so right Each look
1: into your eyes and fall in A little more and more Looks like we started us a
0: fire Wrapped up in flames of desire With every touch they're burning higher Two shadows dancing on the wall With nothing on but the radio Feel the music playing soft and slow Next song I want to talk about is nothing on but the radio. This was a hit for Gary Allen. This also went to number one.
1: Yeah, right. Well, it, I'd like to preface the song story with a little bit about Gary, because I met Gary through a friend out in California who said, you got to come out here and hear this guy. And so I happened to be in Los Angeles for an event. I believe it was the ACM Awards that year. I I was out there for some big music thing, and I believe that's what it was for. But I had arranged to go to Downey during my trip and see Gary play in a club there. I was kind of excited to go to Downey, too, because Downey, you know, I've always liked all kinds of music, but music, but the Carpenters were always great in my mind. I thought, man, if I could just meet Richard Carpenter someday or whatever, I thought, man, those such a great producer he was, and of course his sister was an amazing singer. And so I thought, well, this is cool. I'm going to get to see what Downey's like. Well, I didn't see much of Downey, and I saw a lot of a dive bar there listening to Gary play. And so after the show, Gary and I stepped outside, and Gary said, hey, is there something you can do for me in Nashville? And I said, Well, let me start sending you some songs. I mean, that's a good way to start. If you like something, you know, I can maybe send you the tracks and you can put your vocal on it. Let's see what happens, you know. So that's what we did. He picked four songs and I sent him the tracks. And he went into a little studio in L.A. and added his voice. And I didn't think they sounded right. They sounded pretty good, but I didn't think they were in the right key. So I told him, I said, look, if you can come up with a little bit of money, come to Nashville, we'll do it for the bare bones cost of the studio, the engineer, and some and some musicians. And we'll go in and see what we can do with these four songs and cut them in your key and just make them make it your record, you know. So we did, and then I got in my photo session and got all that done. And then I started carting them around to some record labels. And within a short amount of time, well it was really that week four labels were interested. So to make the, the long story short, we signed him to Decca Records. Decca Records gave me a guarantee of I could work on it. I could, I could be his producer, but there was a co-producer gonna be put with me, the, the head of A&R at Decca at the time. So that was fine. Uh, Mark Wright and I co-produced the first three albums for Decca. And so then musical chairs happened at Decca, MCA, Mercury, they all kind of went through this big merger thing, and I was out as the producer. And but Gary and I stayed friends, and, and it, you know these things happened. So I always felt like when he recorded nothing on but the radio, it was kind of him returning the favor because he always liked the song. He had heard the song earlier, and and loved it, and so he finally recorded it. I wrote the song with uh, Bryce Long and Odie Blackman, and it's an old. Marilyn Monroe quote, Marilyn has been a good source, I think, for song titles, <laughs> but <laughs> but anyway, that was so anyway, we wrote this tune, and Gary cut it, and I just couldn't couldn't believe how cool it sounded, you know, so it ended up doing really well for Gary, and came out at a tough time for Gary it was When he was going through some stuff with his family, and it was a very scary moment. We didn't know how the record was going to do, but somehow it just kept going, and it ended up being number one for two weeks. And did
0: you have a number one party?
1: We did. We did. We had a number one party downtown at one of the honky-tonks downtown that was probably the most exciting number one party I've ever been to because it was just loud and fun and a lot of people there. So, you know, that was a complete different kind of number one party than some of the others, which are usually held in lobbies of buildings and things like that. But this was a pretty wild party and fun. (laughs) And, you know, family and friends were there. It was great. It was right on Broadway here? Right down on Broadway. I think it was in Roberts. I'm not sure which club it was in. I have to remember, but Roberts is still there. I believe that's where it was. But it was fun. Oh man! <laughs> in two thousand four, yeah, and Gary was eating it up and having a blast. So I run into Gary now and then. And great guy. So you read this with Odie and Bryce, and talk to me about the co-writing
0: process on this one.
1: So I was over at Reba's company at the time, and I remember we got together in a in one of Reba's writing rooms, and it just sort of fell out. I mean, I, it was like any other any other writing appointment. We didn't really think anything that. You know, I mean, we were we were writing together anyway, the three of us on a lot of songs at the time. So it was just one of those. You know, it didn't really stand out as anything all that special. It was just another good song, you know, that we thought might get cut eventually. It's a love song. It is. And it takes some risks in there. You know, it's kind of it's kind of got some some sexuality stuff in it, which is kind of cleaned up and done the way it should be for radio, I guess. And interesting little backstory on that. Before the record came out, my mom was really getting frustrated because I had not had a hit in a while. And uh, I guess it had been a few years or something. I don't know. But anyway, she was really ready for me to have another hit so she could talk about it at the grocery store, you know. (laughs) And uh, so this one came out and she was really proud. You know, she could told all her friends at the grocery store about it. Well, about six months later, she calls me and she says, I finally got that song. I said, what song, Mom? She said, "That nothing on but the radio. That's kind of embarrassing. I, you know, I thought I didn't know it was about that. And I said, well, Mom, yeah. What did you think it was about? <laughs> you know, you didn't really think it was about turning on the radio, did you? But anyway, she... She's, uh, it's funny. She's 93. She's still with us. And I like telling that story because it's just so her, you know, kind of went over her head there for a few months and, but she was proud of the song. I don't know if she's proud of it anymore, but (laughs) (laughs) but it's a funny
0: story. So was there anybody in your life that this was inspired by at that time? Were you enamored with someone?
1: Are you and Odie and no, was just are talking about? We just Three writers just got down and wrote a clever song. It's <laughs> That's kind of what it was. Uh, you know, sometimes there's no, I mean. Uh, there's no motivation. Or, well, there's no muse. Yeah, uh, yeah. I mean. In every song. Yeah. I mean, we were grown boys, so we kind of knew, <laughs> you know, <laughs> grown men. But uh, we, uh, you know, so we, you know, knew how to make the song steamy, let's put it that way, but no, no, it wasn't about anyone in particular, I don't think.
0: <laughs> yeah, I've,
1: I, in this process, I've discovered a lot of the
0: songwriters are grown boys.
1: Yeah, you know, <laughs> I, I often say it's, a lot of it, a lot of writing is, uh, you know, people all ask me that all the time, how were you inspired to write this or that? And a lot of times I I say, well, sometimes it's as much perspiration as it is inspiration, you know, it's, you just re- got to roll up your sleeves and work at writing, And use all the knowledge you have and make it work, you know. It's not always inspiration. Sometimes perspiration. That's right.
0: Backstory Song's mission is to help songwriters and their work get found and discovered so they can make a living and keep on creating great songs. The best way to pay a songwriter is to listen to their songs. Unfortunately, with the decline of radio listeners, songwriters who live off royalties do not make the same royalties they used to. Please help out the Backstory songwriters by listening to their songs on our playlist. Share Backstory song episodes with your friends on your social media and encourage them to do the same. By liking and sharing Backstory song on your social media, you'll be helping the songwriters on this podcast.
1: Much has changed here on my end No, I don't think she's coming back We
0: better not get into that Let's talk about baseball Talk a little small talk There's gotta be a good joke
1: That you heard Talk about nice cars. oh Hollywood
0: movie star. So politics, religion, and her is one of your later catalog songs, right?
1: Well, it was written about nineteen ninety five, oh, I think, somewhere earlier. in there, ninety four. Yeah, that song is one of my favorites. It it was you know, when you sit down and write with someone For the first time, someone you respect and you've heard their songs and you kind of go, okay, I've got to, I really got to do good today because, you know, i got to be on today because I'm writing with somebody that I highly respect and I want it to go well. Well, that's what happened when Tony Martin and I got together and wrote this song. I don't know if he felt that, but I did. I, you know, we got together and I was, I really wanted to come up with something good. And. I can't remember who came up with the title, but it was one of those titles that sort of, I like to say if a title's good enough, it'll write itself, which is, of course, not true. But as a writer, it sort of feels like that sometimes, that the, the title really kind of tells you what to do. And Tony was is one of those writers that he can see around corners long before a lot of writers can. He's real—he's a real brilliant guy. He knows what a song needs to do before you even get there to this corner or whatever you're at and so we wrote this song very fast it was probably within about 45 minutes we had the song and we pitched it directly to the pluggers right away as soon as we finished writing it and it was like it was like you know get this thing wrapped up quick we got to get this out there you know so it was that kind of panic on the song they they loved it and it was just it just had that cuttable quality you just kind of knew And again, it was a different time. It was in 94, 95 back then when you knew when you came up with something that clever and that well supported by the lyric and that well written. And I don't brag about my songs that way, but you just know when you when you've got one that, you know, is going to go out and get on hold pretty quick. And that was one of those. It's not that way anymore, really. But back then in 94, 95, uh, you could come up with a a great song and you kind of had a feeling your publisher could get it on hold pretty quick. These days, not so much, I don't think, because so many artists want to write, and the song, you know, it's just a little different now, I think. But that song did end up getting on hold right away and cut by Sammy Kershaw, which turned out to be the, the perfect voice for it. Sammy just felt that song, did a great job on it. And to this day, when I go out and play shows, I do a lot of shows, and people always respond to that song, even though it didn't go top five, I don't even think it went top ten, I think it's, you know but it did great out there in at radio, and that's you know, that song kind of taught me a lesson that it doesn't matter if songs go number one, really it it's it's what people remember I mean, if you've got a song that's an impact song, it can go to number 15 and be an impact song, something that people, that really makes people remember the artist and it's something that people want to here at the artist shows and here at writer's nights and politics, religion and her is one of those that people seem to want to hear, you know, and it, it didn't go nearly as high as something like picking up strangers, you know, or foolhearted memory. So I, I'm, I've got this thing about number one songs. I really don't like to count them. I used to, but that song right there is probably the reason, you know, sort of like, sort of like asking what you're, you know, just because you're, your children one of your kids didn't go to college or whatever Is, does that make them worse than the ones that did go to college some I mean, you know it's sort of like politics religion and her i love that song as much as anything i've written you know so yeah they're all your children that's right that's right you they you have to love them the same exactly exactly, exactly. so just because they didn't go number one it's i think just feeling the the audience's desire for that song Makes me really super proud of it, even though it didn't go that high in the chart. So
0: this is a breakup song or a recovery song. A lot of your guys in the songs seem to have trouble recovering from <laughs> from the opposite sex. Yeah, putting the hurt on them. Yeah, and again, was there any personal story here? Just again, your imagination. You and oh, you and well, Tony yeah. Martin having an imagination. Well, Matt I think uh, about a girl that.
1: I think both of us could had enough experience to to write it you know so yeah there
0: there were enough girls you didn't want to talk about
1: yeah or (laughs) maybe one or two back in the back back there that it hurt to talk about you know which is what that song's about you know you don't want to you just don't want to talk about her because it hurts too much Right. which is in the lyric you know yeah let's talk about nascar no one ever says that do they well, not that way, I guess, but, but no, also we, you know, it gets done. I think, I think Sammy may have put fast cars. In oh, really? I think one, one way or the other, but I've started singing it. I used to sing at NASCARs because, you know, NASCARs is weird Is is a, pl- Plural, it's got an s on it, but it's you know NASCAR is, is not plural. It's a, it's the organization. So, but I think I, I've been lately singing it fast cars. I don't know why I keep flip flopping. Sometimes when I'm doing it live in a in a writer's night, I'll I'll do it NASCARs because it sounds kind of hillbilly to say that because it's got an s on the, on it and it's not the way people really talk. But lately I've been singing fast cars. We kind of flip flopped on that, and honestly, I guess it's because. My age, I can't remember which way we actually wrote it and which way Sammy cut it, but I'd have to listen to his record again.